The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and that can be found at the bottom of the first page of the Bible, which is actually page 3. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you very much, Roz, for reading. Love you to keep Genesis chapter 1 open, if you would, please. And we'll pray with those words in front of us. And God said, and it was so. Um, We pray, Heavenly Father, with great thanks that you're a God who speaks, that we're not left guessing about you. You've made yourself known. And we thank you that when you speak, you act as well. You're able to make a difference in our lives and in our world. And we thank you that when you do that, it can always be pronounced good. And we pray that you'd help us, therefore, to know your word at work in our lives and your great blessing resting on us as a result and glory going to your name. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to be affirming as I start this morning. How would you feel if I was to tell you this morning, you're amazing? That is not the uh, latest advert for Bupa's health insurance scheme. You are amazing. You're the second most amazing thing in the universe. Now you're probably thinking, oh, that's just um, Simon Scott's sarcasm. It's actually a put down. He just means that he's the most amazing thing in the universe. No, I'm sorry if you misunderstood me there. Um, Let me rephrase it. You are the second most sacred thing in the universe. So if we had a list starting with the most awesome and sacred, God comes top. But this is amazing, isn't it? Immediately below him would be you and me 
and, of course, the billions of other people made in God's image over history. Not seals or whales or cows or koalas, not mountains or jungles or oceans or stars or supernovas, people, you and I, we're actually in a different league, the Bible would say, from the rest of creation. Because human beings, we'll see in Genesis 1, are created in the image of God. So you are amazing, sacred even, whoever you are. And maybe some of us, I don't know, find that difficult to believe about ourselves. But it's true of you because it's true of all of us. Black or white, male or female, young or old, fit or out of condition, able-bodied or disabled in some way, unborn or at the very end of life with all the associated difficulties there, with or without our marbles, rich or poor, happy or sad. Human beings are made in the image of God and that is the ultimate definition of amazing. We are the second most amazing thing in the universe. Second only to Almighty God, our Maker. Well, let's look at what Genesis 1 says to understand it a little more fully. I've got four um, headings of which I'm not proud, but I hope I'll be able to explain them as we go through them. You are amazing to start with in relation to God. Um, Actually, I did a refresher on this having looked at it last week with you in church with uh, Tom speaking then. There were hints in that first bit of the chapter of how amazing we are, even in last week's description of God's making of the cosmos, the heavens and the earth. I wonder if you notice how, if you were here, the writer Moses lingered on the various details of God's creative ability, which would be particularly important to humanity. So... um, The stars, for example, they get passed over in just a few words. But the sun and the moon, they get a special mention because they affect our times and seasons and the earth, which is the home and habitat of the human race. When you get to our bit, well, there's a very unsubtle hint that something big is happening in the way the account of this sixth day or chapter in God's creation looks so different from all that's gone before. Uh, simply as words on the page. And we actually started day six last week and broke off before day six was finished. But at the point where this week's passage begins, all the symmetry that has been in the chapter up to this point breaks down. Now, Bible-loving Christians disagree about this, I know, and um, there are good and godly people on both sides of this discussion. I don't want to tread on anybody's toes, and I may be wrong. But... Um, One of the things that persuades me that the account in Genesis 1 is not intended to be read as a literal historical account of what God did, for example, in six consecutive 24-hour slots, is just that the style of writing is not historical in the way we think of history. It doesn't follow in literary terms the canons of history. It doesn't follow the canons of science either. Those are sort of category errors to try and impose those judgments on it. It's patterned, symmetrical, deliberate, ordered, 
almost, you could say, poetic. So you get the same recurring words we had last week. And God said, and it was so. And he called it such and such a name. And God saw that it was good. And then there was evening and morning, another day. What's the point with all that pattern? Well, it's not, it seems to me, I guess I may be wrong, it's not to provide a time chart of creation, but to show how every single part of creation, as he surveys the whole lot in six ordered slices, every single part owes its existence to the same detailed, thorough, deliberate, painstaking planning and working of God. He's the line drawer we thought about last week. But the pattern here is blown to pieces with the creation of human beings in the middle of the sixth day. We've had the creation of the animals with the the start of the sixth day with all the same words as before. But then in verse 26, we move on to the creation of humanity and there is a shift into top gear. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And as a hint of how this creative act is unique in the different way God goes about it. So with everything before, if I can put it like this, God's creating work has been done as if by remote control. Just by the sheer power of his word, God has commanded stuff into being. Let there be light. And there was light. Here, there's much more of a fanfare about it, and God talks to himself about this creation. And we get to overhear a lovely divine soliloquy. Let us make mankind in our image. And more words as the conversation unfolds. Just in case we missed how something different is afoot, the author recasts it again in verse 27. Well, more than once. 27a, so God created mankind in his own image. Everybody get that? Well, just in case, I'll say it again. 27b, in the image of God, he created them. Ooh, and to be absolutely sure, one more time, same subject, God, Same verb, created, male and female. He created them, 27C. So my first point is that simply by virtue of God's specific creation of mankind, we are special. You are amazing in relation to God. We're made in his image, by him, specifically, deliberately. Now, a second point arises from this. Secondly, you're amazing in relation to the rest of creation. Amazing in relation to the rest of creation. See, as God's specially designed image bearers, humanity is being placed in a mediating position, under God, but over the whole of creation. Let's follow the logic of verse 26, which explains what it means for us to be like God in his world. Verse 26 Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So you ask the question, how are we to be like God? Here's the answer. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, etc., etc. 
What it's saying is this. We aren't just in the image of God. We are to operate as the image of God, ruling his world for him as his deputy on earth. That means it's not simply a quirk of evolution that we have mastery over the earth. God gave that to us. Now, leave aside just for a moment the questions we might have about what humans have done to the world and how we've done so much to to ruin God's world. That's something we're painfully aware of in recent times, is it not? I don't think we can shirk that responsibility. But at this point in the storyline, we're in an ideal world before sin and suffering. At the beginning, we were appointed to rule creation. And that authority is not ours to do with as we like, to exploit the earth and to pillage it. No, we rule over creation under the rule of God. So as with every other area in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, God is the subject of all the verbs. He made everything and he made us. Therefore, if we're rulers over creation, we are only so because he made us so. Well, let me read on to the end of the chapter under the same heading. But a quick question first, eyes up from the text. What is the first thing that God tells humanity to do in Scripture? And I'll give you a clue. It has nothing to do with not eating apples. The answer comes in verse 28. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. An increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the first thing, notice this for a start, that God gives man is a blessing, not a ban. And I think you'd have to say it's exciting. Sorry if this is a bit high octane for Sunday morning, but it's something along the lines of this, isn't it? Have sex have babies, travel, explore, and take charge over all you survey. And most people, I would imagine, are quite into those things. Even if they haven't twigged necessarily that those desires came from God to begin with. He invented the desire to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. In fact, he actively encouraged those things so that his image would be seen throughout the world and creation would be a display case for what an amazing God he is. And that's why he wants us to have a privileged place in creation. Last couple of verses tell you how good it is. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, They'll be yours for food. That's another little indicator of the high place of gardening. Okay? And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. It's a lovely picture, is it not, of God's generosity. He's the God who loves to give and give. And a summary, verse 31. God saw all that he'd made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God's creative work is not simply good this time, 
Now, with mankind in place as Lord of creation, God actually reviews his rating. Before it had been good, but something was arguably missing. Now, with this glorious being, creation is very good. And there's a little pointer, is it not, that human beings aren't going to be outclassed in the future by some superman or other. So, summarize it a bit. Genesis 1 teaches that you and I are above creation, including, it's worth saying, the animal creation. That contradicts some of the deductions of evolution, does it not? Gilbert and Sullivan, I guess they weren't writing technical science or anything like that as they wrote their operators. They crystallized the, uh, the claim that's sometimes made in some lovely words. Darwinian man, they said, though well-behaved, is really but a monkey shaved. Is that how you think of yourself? Well, it's not true according to Genesis chapter 1. We are above the animals. But still rightly, we take our place under the rule of God. And we can't safely speak about the majesty and dignity of human beings unless we stress the majesty of God. We're to rule over creation, yes, but we are to be ruled by God. And when we don't keep that balance, we find we're heading for a nightmare. You look back to last century, where people tried to eliminate any sense of the greatness of God, Stalin and Mao. They set themselves, just as examples, to overthrow all recognition of someone greater than themselves. They were the boss. Well, what happens in that situation? It's almost inevitable. You don't have a, a man ruling then. You end up with a monster. One, one conclusion that seems to me is apt just after a general election. We must pray for our rulers, and we need to pray for them, to accept the rule of God over them in a genuine way. Not just as a token nod when it suits them for the cameras, but really to accept that he is in authority over them and everyone else. But of course, we've got to pray that way for ourselves too. If I look at my own life honestly, it soon becomes clear that I can't rule myself. I am unruly. I may not be a president or a prime minister, but I can rule myself and manage my small sphere of influence well only if I am myself under the rule of God. Therefore, I want to say that if you haven't yet bowed the knee to God and prayed, submitting yourself to him, worshipped him and adored him, then that's what God wants from you today. Now, we're almost finished, but I've left out two important things. Uh, a third heading. You and I are amazing in relation to the opposite gender. So I missed out a vital phrase at the end of verse 27. And it's this, male and female, he created them. I wonder if you noticed, I think I've mentioned it as we've been through, there's a pointer in this little bit to a plurality in God. So he says, let us make mankind in our image. And there is a little hint of a, a relationship within the Godhead there. But there's also plurality and difference within humanity. We aren't all the same. Male and female, he created them. 
almost as if we couldn't have imaged God properly to the world if humans had all been all male or all female. There's a difference set up there in humanity. And that difference is more than just a matter of our genitals. Our whole makeup, down to the individual chromosome, shows we're made either male or female. Different. Equal, yes. So they're equally blessed by God, equally in the image of God. God gave the man and the woman the stamp of approval as they came off the production line. Man, very good. Woman, very good. Equal, but different. And it means that men need to learn what distinctive the Bible says about being male and to love those distinctives and live them, which will be a challenge for them. And women need to learn what makes women different and how God intends women to live and to love that way and live it. I suppose a corollary of all this is none of us should want to be what we aren't by creation or want others to be what they aren't created to be. All sorts of other conclusions, aren't there, you can think of. There's to be no knocking of one sex by the other. We need each other in our difference together to image God effectively. We've got one final area to focus on, and for this we're going to move from Genesis to Jesus. Because if we follow Genesis, then see if you think this is right. We can even say that you and I, as God's images, are amazing, fourthly, in our relation to the man. Man with a capital M, I mean the man, Jesus Christ. If we follow the logic of our verses, is this okay to say this? That if God were to come within the limitations of time and space, he would do so as a human being. That's precisely what happened when Jesus Christ came. Here was man as man was meant to be. The perfect image of God. Ruling over his world, stilling storms, healing disease. You look at him and you see God. Today, of course, the image of God in man and woman is is marred at every level by our sin. And our whole world is out of joint as a result. But if we come to Jesus Christ, he can forgive our sin and restore our likeness to God. And make us more fully human than we've ever been before. So if anybody wants to become the human being they should be. And they could be. You can't bypass Jesus Christ. I try and say regularly to the the teenagers in the evening service. Never imagine that if you take Jesus as your Lord and live for him. It will spoil your life. It won't and it can't. He will make you more human. We let him forgive us our sins. And transform us into the man or woman God wants us to be. Something fantastic is afoot that affects every aspect of our life. Home, workplace, church relationships, all sorts of things will be affected by it. In the remake, the makeover, 
that we've actually already prayed about. If you noticed in that collect that we had time to read carefully before we prayed it earlier in the service. What's the point? Well, it's this. You are amazing. And of course, God hasn't even finished with you yet. Let's pray together. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We want to bow before you, Heavenly Father, and worship you this morning. We owe you our life and health and everything. We thank you for making us. We thank you for distinguishing us from the rest of creation. And we thank you that in the man, Jesus Christ, you can remake us and transform our poverty of nature as a result of our sin into something more glorious and more spectacular still. We pray that you would do that work in us. We pray you would do it to the honor and glory of his name throughout the earth. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.